friends, welcome to this episode of the MakeWell podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's practicing creativity in their daily life so that they can live a life of purpose and passion. Each week, we'll be interviewing Midwest makers that will unveil the behind the scenes of their journey and lessons along the way. We hope their stories help you live a creative life and inspire you to start today. Hey makers, welcome to the MakeWell podcast. This is Ashton. I'm so excited for today's guest. She's such a gem in our community, so I'm honored to have her here today. She is a writer, a strategic thinker, a really generous neighbor, um, among so many other things. I know she loves waffles, so I'm excited to talk about that, but she's just a foodie in general, I guess. So without further ado, let's welcome Beth schatz Kaler. I'm so excited to be there, <laughs> and you've just like, that's the best intro ever. Oh, I'm good. just going to record that, and it's going to be my phone ring or something. <laughs> that's awesome. Yay, thank you. Uh, yeah, so me. first, maybe just share about where you are today and who you are so people can get to know you. So... That's a great question. This is a, yeah. I'm in a little bit of a transitionary point of life. So I just uh, left my full-time position at Agency Mabu, which is a marketing communications firm in town, to do my own part-time freelancy thing. And this is the first time I've ever been truly self-employed for myself. Yeah. And so it's been quite an adventure, and it's going great. Good. And I suppose we can talk more about that later as it comes up. But yeah. so I have, I guess, freelance communications consultant. Nice. <laughs> that's that? your title. Yep. Okay. But also still highly involved in food. I'm the board president of the Bisman Community Food Co-op, for example, mm-hmm. and just a big fan of all things local food. I geek out on it on Instagram. <laughs> I love it. I just enjoy it every day. <laughs> so that's that's me. That's awesome. Yeah. So today we just kind of want to hear about your story, those real behind the scene raw moments that don't necessarily end up on social media. So I'd love to hear what was your first um, creative passion, either in your school days or college or, you know, when did that initially ignite within you? Sixth grade, if you would have told me, what do you, if you would have asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have said, I want to open a restaurant. Mm. I absolutely was Kay. into food at a really young age. I have no idea why. I grew up in <laughs> a Velveeta and Minute Rice household. Oh, man. <laughs> and lots of like little Debbie snacks. And, you know, the parents worked. We just, I ate lots of ramen noodles. Uh, we, we would have meals together on the weekends, but otherwise we just had what we would call potpourri, which oh. is whatever you can find in the kitchen. So, nice. um, so I, but I really found a lot of comfort, I think, in, in the kitchen and cooking and uh, in food. So that was probably the, the first place. Um, but I also probably was a bit of a perfectionist and I really excelled in school academics in the traditional way. Like I mm. always got good grades. Yeah. I was always good at testing. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was probably just something that I knew what to do. I knew how to do well in school, but I didn't know what to do with that. And so my path kind of zigzagged a lot to land where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's probably still true today for a lot of students. You know, they're just focused on that good grade. I know that's how I grew up too. But then you hit this point of like, well, what do I want to do with my life? Yes. (laughs) And I just, today, I just feel like the anxiety around that making the decision Mm -hmm. because there's just even so many more possibilities now and everything is accelerated. Everything's going so fast that it's feeling like as as the possibilities increase, anxiety increases and people think Mm -hmm. I need to do something now and I need to figure it out now. Yeah. And I'm here to say I had nothing figured out (laughs) and it's all worked out for the best probably because of it. It was because I took all these different paths and I tried all these different things that they all somehow uh, took this winding road to really great places and great experiences. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a lot of us, but we always are so hard on ourselves. We're like if we don't get from A to B super fast right now, mm-hmm. we're failing. And that's Absolutely. not the case. And that's and then we have the additional kind of thief of joy, which is comparison. And mm-hmm. we compare ourselves to the best that people present. So I on our Instagrams and everything like that. And then we think we're failing because we don't look as shiny or, or our desk mm-hmm. isn't as clean or whatever yeah. those things are. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's tough. So I love that this podcast is happening and all the realness that <laughs> yeah. we're going to be talking about here because it's, it's more, 
I really appreciate truth. Even in Instagram, I'm even I spend a lot of time on that format. I feel like probably too much. <laughs> and I really appreciate following people who really put themselves out there with fewer of the filters and mm-hmm. don't have everything so polished. And yeah. I think that's becoming more and more appealing to people. Yeah. Well, it's relatable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want some of that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So with with your passion for opening a restaurant, mm-hmm. how did that develop throughout your high school years and as you made that decision of, you know, what is my next step for college? Yes. That was always kind of ringing in the back of my head, but it just I just pushed pause on it because it was impractical mm-hmm. and it wasn't uh, profitable. It wasn't the path you're supposed to take. Let's say sure. that, right? Yeah. So I went to school thinking that I was going to work in the Foreign Service. I was going to mm. leave Bismarck. I was going to be yeah. one of those kids who's like, see you later. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> yep. I'll come back for Christmas, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I went to school at University of North Dakota for international studies with an emphasis in Spanish and a minor in business. Ooh, I'm a Spanish fan, Are so you? that makes me so happy. Awesome, yes. <laughs> Maybe we should try doing this in Spanish. Hablamos en español. Yeah, let's do this. I love it. So um, I... And I wanted to work in the Foreign Service, which means uh, through the U.S. State Department in embassies Mm -hmm. and kind of you get positioned in a new embassy every three years. Oh, okay. And I thought that would be awesome. Yeah, I get to travel. (laughs) Yeah. So I took all these humanities classes at UND. Anyone who has UND, like Maryfield Hall, which is like the most beautiful Hogwarts-like building (laughs) up there. It's just awesome. But it's a little bit of a... Uh, an odd child. You feel like mm-hmm. an odd duck being in language and uh, humanities classes at UND, which is so aviation, law, medicine, medical. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So you just kind of found your own own path there. And then I did an internship at the State oh. Department. And I was there the year after 9-11. Oh, and wow. So I was working for the State Department, for the department that did student visas. Mm-hmm. And this, I'm not going to get into it, but the those 9-11 bombers came in on student visas so there's a lot of oh wow like back and forth and kind there's a we needed like more people coming in to grow understanding but at the same time there's like a lot of lockdown on stuff yeah and it was really opened my eyes to you know diplomacy isn't always happy shiny people and everyone yeah. holding hands yeah and all this. <laughs> it really um you will probably end up like just stamping passports. And if you don't agree with a policy that your government hands down, you can't really do much about it. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a disheartening experience. Just I wanted to work some way to kind of heal the world. Like that was yeah, such a, the justice kind of yeah, side of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I saw through that kind of internship and just seeing all these conversations uh, that that maybe isn't the best path for me. So sure. Um, I was going to, I graduated, I was going to go to grad school for Spanish. And in the meantime, I came back to Bismarck to kind of, oh, uh, after college, I actually (laughs) took a break and I was an au pair in Switzerland for- Oh, what? I was an au pair. What is that? That's like a Mary Poppins. (gasps) It's like a nanny. Oh my gosh, I can see you doing that. That is amazing. (laughs) Yes. In uh, here we call it a nanny. Over there they call it an au pair for whatever reason. And you live in the family and you take care of the children. And uh, they did not speak a word of English. (gasps) I did not speak a word of Swiss German, which is what they spoke. (laughs) And so, and that's why they hired me because they wanted their kids to learn English. Oh, okay. um, And that was where I learned to cook. (gasps) <gasps> to be perfectly honest, yeah, the European sensibility about food is so different than the American one. I remember chopping broccoli, and I just automatically just chopped the the flowers off the the head of the broccoli oh, and yeah. threw the stem away, and they just looked at me horrified, like we eat that, like what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and I remember packing for that trip and thinking I'm going to bring things from America to my Swiss family as little gifts, mm-hmm. and I packed. I don't know, like maybe some North Dakota soup mix. And and I remember packing... Some Nifla. Some Nifla. And I remember packing some Hershey's chocolate syrup. And oh the my. time it comes in the can, <laughs> yep. not even thinking, like, Beth, you are taking Hershey's chocolate syrup to Switzerland, which is like <laughs> the land of Swiss chocolate. I yeah, mean, yeah. Like, oh, man. Literally dairy cows outside your window. And it's just crazy. So... Um, 
I learned a lot about how to cook there. And I was take I checked out because I needed to cook for these kids mm -hmm. and they didn't do any convenience foods. So I was checking out cookbooks that were in German mm -hmm. in gram measurements uh, oh, to yeah. figure out how to make risotto and how to make like uh, a soup and how to make things that I had never really done, even though I always loved to cook, but I did yeah. it in more of a like, I'm going to open this brownie mix and make brownies kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. With recipe on the box. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it was really, really formative for me. And uh, in Switzerland, they compost, which I still compost yeah. now too. Their trash system's very different where you pay for the trash bag. And so oh. you can throw out anything you want, but you have to, for it to get picked up, it has to be in the bag you paid for. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just was such a different system that made me more aware of a more sustainable way of living and just different way of life when you don't have what we may think of in North Dakota as unlimited space. Yeah. Yeah. The Great Plains. The Great Plains. We think <laughs> of it as this devoid, empty thing, and it yeah. absolutely isn't. But we, we have a tendency to sprawl out because of that mentality. And yeah. If you, I'm so grateful for these experiences because it just opened my eyes to a more, I'll just call it sustainable way of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how long did you do that for? So I was I was going to be there for a year. It ended up being mm, not the most positive experience somehow oh, with the yeah. family, um, which is kind of frequent with au pairs, and you're really vulnerable because there isn't much infrastructure there for support if you. Oh have sure. Mm -hmm. So I learned. I will tell you, I learned a lot, though, and I'm really glad for even that ne the negative side of that experience, both the positive and the negative. Mm -hmm. So I learned so much about people. I learned so much about my own just strength and abilities, and I learned how to find the helpers and find the friends and find your way um, out of a maybe difficult situation. Yeah. And I'm... I'm really grateful for that experience looking back on it. Mm -hmm. Especially in a different culture with different yes. languages. Like yes. there's something about, I feel like if you've tackled that, you go home and you're like, oh, I can tackle anything. Yes. <laughs> it was so confident, such a builder of confidence. And uh, it also made me appreciate home in yeah, a really yep. strong way. If I wouldn't have had that experience, because I came home after that, and okay. that's when I started applying for grad schools, I would. I don't think I would be living in Bismarck, North Dakota. I think mm -hmm. I would have just continued on and moved to wherever people move to, you know, some yeah, metro area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, I came home, and as I was applying for grad schools, I ended up finding a great job at Bobcat Company, which oh, yeah. manufactures loaders and excavators. Yep. In working in exports, they needed a Spanish speaker. Ah, there to we go. Work with their Latin American dealerships, and I just couldn't believe that this opportunity just landed in my lap, and I got to speak Spanish all day Aww. on the phone with these amazing people, men and women at these dealerships, who were so kind, and it was like a a lens into all these different countries and their cultures and their yeah. values. And I just not only loved being able to use the language, but just feeling like I was a bit of an ambassador for my mm -hmm. country. Like I Yeah, was for able. Bismarck at least. Exactly. Like, yeah. And by me being um, generous with my, my time and attention and trying to make their life easier when the engines and tires got stuck in customs or whatever, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was really... Uh, they really appreciated me and vice versa. I got to go and travel and m meet some of them, which was okay. so fun. Yeah. And um, I will say, like, out of all of them, I everyone has their own personalities. And I'm being very biased, basing my <laughs> impressions on these contacts at dealerships. Yeah. But I feel like the um, my contacts in Mexico were just my most favorite. Like, Aww. they just had this sense of life and humor and spirit and work. And they just were, whenever I got to call my, um, got to interact with my uh, Mexico dealership friends, yeah. it was just like, it just made my day. And Aww. I still have a real soft spot for um, all things Mexico. I could eat Mexican food every single day. <laughs> I just, all of it. I love their accent. I love the, uh, the language, the culture. It's just such a rich and vibrant place. Yeah. So when you worked at Bobcat, did you have to learn all of that machinery language in Spanish? Yes. Oh, my so goodness. I can talk about uh, alternators and, <laughs> and like, tire rims and all of that in Spanish all day long. So Wow. And it's interesting, the power of vocabulary, because there's a lot, some things in Spanish I 
don't have the vocabulary for. And uh, if you, let's say, if I had a health condition and I ended up in the hospital, like it would be mm-hmm. hard for me to be able to accurately describe like my symptoms, symptoms or, yeah. and like things like that. So um, hopefully that doesn't doesn't happen. But <laughs> <laughs> even in English, though, I think vocabulary is powerful because I'm a reader and a writer and I mm-hmm. find myself maybe frustrated when I can't understand something. Um, I was watching a TEDx talk about natural architecture, this idea of biological elements and how they can impact, you know, man-made architecture and make buildings stronger and mm-hmm. more flexible and things. And I thought, gosh, I'm a smart person. I feel like I'm a smart person, and I just don't get this. I don't understand, and I, yeah. I find the topic interesting, but I have no idea what they're talking about. And then it was like, okay, wait a minute, Beth. Like, A, you have no formal vocabulary and biology or architecture (laughs) or you know so like be easy on yourself because it's vocabulary really really matters and even in um I think even in design or in this kind of like new new age kind of life coaching Mm -hmm. um or anything it just seems like these subcultures have their own vocabularies and it's um it's sometimes intimidating to even get into it I think even like the Makewell group will have perhaps its own vocabulary to talk about, you know, the creative life and how to grow a business and all of these things that might be intimidating some people. And mm-hmm. it just I just hope people dive in and ask questions rather than feeling like that's not for them. Yeah. Yeah. And we hope people lean in, right? If they yes. don't know something versus kind of sit back because we all don't know everything that we're doing or why we're doing it. We're all figuring it out. Exactly. So. Yes. All, still figuring it still out. Still figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so after after Bobcat, I was perhaps looking for more connection to my community. It was f- I was feeling much more the corporate side of the that work and kind of the profit driven side and such. Sure. I so I was looking for other opportunities, and that's when Mabu popped up. Um, a friend of mine was actually leaving and moving out out of state. And her position, we were having lunch, and she just mentioned, like, yeah. hey, this this could be a great fit. And when I joined Mabu, it was like the, the floodgates opened. I Like, I could understand everything in my community <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah. I could look at a billboard, and I understood why they use that font or why it looks terrible or whatever. <laughs> or I could hear a news release on, the, on public radio and think, oh, yeah, I know why that's happening. Mm-hmm. Or I could read a story in the paper, and I could see what's underlying that and these are all things that I really either wasn't paying attention to or I didn't really understand I just took for face value yeah and suddenly all these kind of connections within my own community were appearing and it was awesome it was just yeah. so interesting and cool and I was um I, I felt much more connected and integrated okay and so at Mabu was your role more of that account side were you writing yeah. What was your role? So I was um, on the account side for sure. So okay. I was not, I don't have graphic design training or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely a writer, uh, a messaging, a strategic planning, yeah. a person who kind of sees the goal and builds the plan to get to the goal and then works with the with the team to kind of develop the materials and the messages and things that we need. Mm-hmm. So um, it was just so rewarding and uh I really still and continue to look to Mike Maben as a mentor and just someone who really has this service mindset, servant leadership mindset, let's mm-hmm. even say, that carries him carries him forward. And this idea of having a mission and a purpose besides just profit mm-hmm. was really um, was really everything I needed and fed me in in big ways and continues to. I mean, that was really really shaped my path moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Was what was what was one of your most proud projects or I guess clients at Mabu? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um so I loved working with the the Department of Commerce first and foremost. They were so uh just seeing understanding what was happening in state government through the eyes of um economic development mm-hmm. and uh tourism and the UAS industry and all these other things and how how that all happened was just so interesting to me. And this idea of internal communications versus like out-of-state external. And um, it was just a really cool team to work with. I think one 
formative thing for me was um, Mabu's work with uh, Native nations and Native communities. I grew up within earshot of United Tribes powwow. Like I could mm, hear mm-hmm. the the drums every summer, but I never ever went to a powwow until I was an adult. I never interacted with that or engaged with that community um, until I intentionally did so growing up. And mm-hmm. that's of no no fault of my parents or anything. I just feel like there was just that a separation there. Yeah, Mabu let me see... Um, Oh, gosh, I just learned so much about uh, indigenous language, um, sovereignty, the idea of um, our, our native, the native origins of like treaty rights, of, of all the history and reasons behind kind of, I'll, I'll say maybe, maybe hardship, even though there, I don't know if that would be the appropriate thing to say, but mm-hmm why why we're at where we're at today and i feel like having that context living here in the the heart of you know the missouri river the heart of lakota Mm -hmm. country and uh was really formative to just understanding my sense of place and my sense of history and how we can you know make all of that better i Mm -hmm. think to make it better we have to at least acknowledge it and we're having problems even just acknowledging it that there was even any issues right now we have this whole like pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality in kind of north dakota white north dakota i'll say and it just doesn't make sense when when you've been um have a historical legacy of trauma and things like this Mm -hmm. yeah and it's neat that even managing all these accounts at Mabo, you still get some of that international foreign, yes, you know, absolutely. you're learning about different nations and peoples yeah. and yep. just to bring that into your workplace. I can see why that would be, you know, something that you love. Yes. And it kind of, it that whole diplomacy th- mm-hmm. thing comes Yeah, it goes again. back to that. Mm-hmm. And it all just is open to listening and being, wanting to lift other, see how we could lift each other up and just... Um, learning the nuances of another culture and understanding how messaging and communications need to imbue that culture, whether it's in Spain or in Mexico Mm -hmm. or um, at Standing Rock. So it was really interesting. um, And I'm I'm really grateful for that experience. Yeah. 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 So um, meanwhile, while I was at Mabu, I was doing all this (laughs) other stuff. Yes. (laughs) And I'm excited about this other stuff. (laughs) So the food thing was still in the background here. So, um, and as, since I decided to be, to, to stay in Bismarck, I started a blog called Rhubarb and Venison. Rhubarb was the first thing we pulled out of the garden and venison mm. was the last thing we put in the freezer. Oh, I love it. I married this, um, this hunter guy named Kent, <laughs> who I was mostly vegetarian for all, for most of my like teenage and twenties. And on our third date, I distinctly remember him making me Mooseburger Helper. And <laughs> from a moose, he shot and butchered himself and all yeah. this. And I just thought, oh, okay, well. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's free range, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. organic. Yeah. <laughs> and thinking, okay, yep, we can do this. Um, so um, so I did have some of the Mooseburger Helper. But um, it's really delightful. We really um, have... A, have a lot of our personal value come from like our the way we eat and how it's very much from this land and whether mm-hmm. we garden it or buy it from local farmers um, from or something he hunts or fishes that's mm-hmm. a large part of our diet um, so I wanted other people to engage in that so I had this blog I started writing this was before if you can imagine this this was before like Facebook was really big and before yeah. Google was really like as robust as it was Mm -hmm. and so all of these little restaurants that i thought were really cool had no website had no digital presence had no google profile at all Mm -hmm. and so i was writing up content for them to um not for them but just because Mm -hmm. i thought they were cool so i'd bring my camera i take pictures oh my goodness what value that you're providing that's amazing and i would put like hey i had this great meal i would put like what the interior looked like what i was eating and just do a write-up and Mm -hmm. like if you're ever in this tiny town in whatever North Dakota, <laughs> yeah. like Medina, for example, has a butcher shop that makes amazing caramel rolls. No mm. one knows that, but you need to go to downtown Medina, North Dakota, um, <laughs> or Tower City has amazing pie, 
or um, South Heart. I hope they still have this cafe. It was such a gem called the Farmer's Daughter Cafe. So I was just finding all these little nooks and I was putting them online. Yeah. Midwest Living Magazine found me through that and they asked me to continue doing that. And that's okay. when I started freelancing and writing mm, in a big way. Okay. So I had this freelance gig and then uh, scouting stuff for Midwest Living Magazine and others. And then I wanted to create more food experiences. And uh, I was really close with um, Angie and Brian at Riverbound Farm and being a member of their CSA. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, could we do a farm dinner out there? And they said, sure. Like, why yeah. not? So I remember building out the Eventbrite and having my finger over the button to make the tickets public for sale and just being like, am I really doing this? Am I really going to invite like 50 people out to the farm and cook for them and make this like everything grown off the farm dinner? Yeah, yeah. And I did it and I made it public. And we did three of those dinners, one oh, wow. for every summer for three years. Okay. And it was just so fun. And it was <laughs> so much work, but it was so rewarding. Um, And so we would just, I, I hired my friend Katrina to come out and decorate the, and so it was tablecloths and real plates and flowers and all of this. Oh, it sounds amazing. It was so good. <laughs> and I would make uh, three courses and uh, source as much as I could locally. So mm-hmm. I think one year we had fireflower gelato out there. Um, another year we, uh, we would, um, you know, I bought iced tea from Steep, Steep Me. Mm-hmm. Um, all the vegetables came from the farm. I would buy lo- local, source local meat, all that stuff, just to say, hey, we can... There's a there's a food this. culture here. You can do yeah, this. Like, yeah. This is here. I love North Dakota's food culture, and I think people think it's just Nephla and Fleischkikla, <laughs> which is part of it. It's the traditional side, yes. yeah. But we're definitely more than that and more than soybeans and, and wheat. There's, mm-hmm. there's little um, gems, and I think of, gosh, uh, Hannah and Jonathan at Forager or Lori and Kevin at Roving Donkey or Annie out at Morning Joy Farm, and I just love, love, love that they, A, exist, B, that they're living this kind of awesome kind of small egg farm kind of life that is not easy. Yeah. And B, being able to use my dollar to support them and to put my dollar in their pocket. I find a lot of value in that, and I was hoping to find ways to do more of that. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it started with farm dinners. Nice. Gosh, I'm so mad I missed out on those. (laughs) (laughs) They were were really um, awesome. One time we had a horse-drawn wagon, and Jessie Veter came out, and she played played guitar on the wagon spontaneously. I love Jessie. She's so amazing, and just her spirit and everything just tied so well. Anyway, we had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. So then... The farm dinners stopped. Uh, One big reason was we would have this commercial kitchen trailer that we rented from or borrowed from the Department of Ag. Mm. And then they had a stipulation that they needed um, a different kind of insurance to use it that was very expensive. Oh, okay. And it kind of just priced us out to even do these. And I wasn't willing to do grant apps or whatever. This is still your free time, your side hustle. Yes. In addition to your freelance writing. Exactly. In addition to Mabu. In addition to a full-time job. Yeah. And I was not doing it for money. Like, I didn't make a cent off these Mm because I intentionally wanted to keep the cost low and accessible. I've seen farm dinners priced at $125 a plate, and I just feel like that adds to this elitist mentality that's surrounded with local food. Yeah. So I made sure I could do this at like $40 a plate. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting paid anything, but yeah. I got so much like emotional and spiritual payment out of it. Yeah. You know? yep. So it was good. Awesome. Um, so we stopped the farm dinners. So I was like, what's next? Do I still want to open a restaurant? And yeah, that it, kind of idea. Your yeah. sixth grade idea coming back yeah. to life. It's still that making energy, mm-hmm. right? And what I want to, and how can I add value to local economies? Um, Biz Market was just starting up and having trouble bringing in food, like, um, I won't say having trouble, but, you know, business was slow. Sure. They wanted more ready to eat. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And, oh, it costs like a quarter million in loans to open like a standalone. But look yeah. at Fireflower. They have this cool little, you know, trailer and that converted into a brick and mortar. And look at all these other places that, you know, started as a trailer or a food truck mm-hmm. and turned into a brick and mortar. Maybe I can yep. get my feet wet with a food truck. Okay. So this was a conversation between 
my husband and my dear friend Amber Larson, and <laughs> on a late January night at our house, I, re- I think there might have been wine. Hopefully, and, hopefully wine. <laughs> and we just decided food truck. Okay, food nice. truck. So yeah. I went online. I found a food truck in the Black Hills, and they had it was the right price, and we brought her up, and she was painted like the Scooby-Doo van. <laughs> it was like all pastel. Exactly was, how you wanted it, exact, right? <laughs> I, I didn't have to do anything to it. Nothing. It was amazing. <laughs> so it needed a little work. So we cleaned it up and we painted it black. And I did not know that I was going to do waffles until the last minute. I, oh, wow. I knew that I wanted something with local inputs. I knew from social media and my blog that sweets sell. Like, and mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted something colorful and pretty that people would put on their social media and share. Yeah. Um, I knew meat was not very easy to photograph. And that, that was hard. <laughs> this and I is did, true. I did, it's usually brown or red, exactly. which is hard. Yeah. <laughs> so hard to take pictures of meat. So um, I knew I just wanted something fun, probably breakfasty. And something I could use a lot of in- local inputs, mm-hmm. North Dakota flour, North Dakota milk, local eggs. Um, and then it just came like waffles just make sense. I can use all those local inputs. I can have a simple menu. I can rotate things in and out as the seasons change. And it's something just simple that anyone can prep. Um, so yeah. anyone can jump on the truck and just help me make waffles. Mm-hmm. So the big waffle truck was born. Yes. Yay. <laughs> we had two glorious summers as a big waffle truck. And um, this was also a side hustle as yes. I was working full time. Yep. It was only open on Saturday mornings. And I think people think you just fling open the win- window of a food truck and then you just well, start of course. flinging food out of there. <laughs> and boy... That was when I learned that I have a certain amount of bandwidth. My energy was limitless yeah, before yeah. that. And it was with the waffle truck that I learned, like, oh, man, this is, okay, this is sapping. Yep. <laughs> sapping yeah, energy. well, even the, with the meals, it sounds like it was once a summer. Exactly. This is every Saturday. Every Saturday for yeah. all summer. And um, I didn't have staff necessarily. I was just having friends and family hop on and help me out. And by the end of that second year, we... Um, I feel like I was kind of burning people out. My folks mm-hmm. wanted to like maybe take a vacation <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, they're your family and friends, so you want to have a good relationship yeah. with them. They yeah. want to go to the lake and all these things. What? <laughs> um, my husband kind of sh- shifted his work schedule, so he wasn't as available. Okay. My child was kind of like having to sit around and wait for us, you know, at mm-hmm. the truck mm-hmm. all morning. And I always said, so this is a really releasing thing, is like if it doesn't work, you can always x like yep. and if it doesn't work you can always sell it if it doesn't work i can always get a job if it doesn't mm-hmm. work i can always you know move in with my folks whatever yeah. those things are <laughs> like whatever the big challenge is so many times i've told myself you know what if it doesn't work we can always and that's been like the trigger the release factor the kind of reassurance mm-hmm. to let us jump into it yeah because that was a big risk i mean for your family because yeah. you have you have a son yeah. but also financially i'm yeah. sure mm-hmm. and with your time totally so i was your was your ambition right away to eventually become a restaurant was it really you know what let's just try this out let's see what happens yeah it was my ambition was to learn and yeah. i wanted to understand do i want a restaurant i wanted okay. to know i had never yeah. worked in food i had a i had my first job ever was as it, as a teenager when I needed gas money at the age of 15. I, got, <laughs> I was a housekeeper on the weekends oh. for a local hotel. I will tell you what, I hope everyone in life has a service job, at whether you're yes. working fast food or cleaning hotel rooms or somehow serving the public because, man, I learned so much doing that, and that was hard, hard work, and I mm-hmm. still strip down my hotel rooms before I leave because <laughs> I have... Help them out a little. Oh, my gosh, I have so much... Um, gratitude for for that for what they do so I jumped into um, the waffle truck wanting to learn do I want a restaurant and the answer yeah. at the end was no I don't mm-hmm. and I was that was my master's degree in life like that was yeah. my it was worth every penny I poured into it mm-hmm. because I answered for myself something that was nagging at me for a long time and just realizing like I don't think food is where I want. I don't think this is the way I want to work in food. I yeah. know food is still going to be a thread through my life, but I don't think opening the doors to just an eatery of some sort, mm-hmm. in the traditional sense, is going to like feed me. So mm-hmm. I answer the question, and, and so it was it. worth it. 
Yeah, it was absolutely worth it. It was the best thing. I will tell you, people were devastated when they I were. that track. <laughs> and it was, and I totally understand why. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I was reading a lot of Brene Brown at that point. Do you know Brene Brown? Oh, I love Brene. Brene's great. <laughs> and this whole idea of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I had a go through a lot of vulnerability and pushing through a lot of fear to open that window yeah. the first day. Mm-hmm. And I really think that there's something innate in us that recognizes when other people are being vulnerable and we will rally around them. Like we can see when someone is putting themselves out there and we get so excited and we're just, you know, when you put out that, let's say, Facebook post that's like, I'm thinking about doing this big thing or I switched jobs or I um, made this big life change, people just get really excited because they acknowledge that you're taking a leap. Mm -hmm. My my own story is just taking so many vulnerable leaps over and over, asking myself over and over, like, well, if it doesn't work, we can always do yeah. this. But I need this to, I need to figure this out. I want to grow. I want to try this. And um, that waffle truck was a big, a big one because, <laughs> and I think people recognize that. And that was part of the appeal that you were just like out there doing it and doing yeah. it for the, re- the right reasons and trying to yep. do it the right way. Um, I can't say that it was be- food. You need to have a certain amount of volume to make profit. I can't say that it was a profitable venture for me. Like I feel like in the grand scheme of everything, it broke even. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just needed that experience. And um, if I would have done it full time, maybe we would have. It could have been a more of a profitable in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. But it was everything I wanted from it, and I felt like it was a success in that way. And I was, the truck now um, lives in Minnesota. So, <laughs> so it's close. Yes. Still in the Midwest. And they um, aren't, I don't think they're serving waffles, unfortunately. And, but they're, they're very happy with, it sounds like they're very happy with the truck. And um, I'm just glad it has another life. So. Yeah. I think it's amazing that when we pair that inkling of what if, what if, that thing that you can't get off your, your head with the permission to fail. Yes. Absolutely. That's, that's like the perfect match because then you can do these experiments mm-hmm. you can see if they work and then they can whether it's uh yes this worked or no this didn't work it can change the whole trajectory of your life yep so that that story is just amazing to me yes and it was you start to recognize the the feeling of fear or the feeling of discomfort as what you want like all of my biggest growth factors all of my biggest growth moments came out of discomfort came mm-hmm. out of me pushing somewhere beyond and we all need and want a certain level of comfort and security mm-hmm. but i feel like if your life priorities is only comfort and security you're gonna lead a pretty boring life i mean yeah you're gonna miss out you're gonna miss out on things and you're actually gonna start to diminish yourself because we all know people who have only prioritized comfort and security and we all know that they have nothing to talk about when they're 65 (laughs) (laughs) they they live their little lives and they're and we're happy that they're comfortable and healthy and and all those things Mm -hmm. but it's it's the the discomfort and growth that really has uh, I've recognized that that's where the good stuff is. Yeah. 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 And so um, the next leap of discomfort was leaving Mabu. Yeah. That and that was, was recent. That was recent. And that was really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of my personal identity wrapped up in being a successful work person who yeah. has a 40 hour plus job, goes to an office, does good things and is contributing in a traditional way and for me to leave all of that and just for for multiple tiny little reasons that were just kind of um pulling on me that it was time to get uncomfortable again I was getting too comfortable I need to do something else and can I can I work independently can I Mm -hmm. can I make it am I can I um release that identity that story I'm telling myself and instead mm-hmm. like take on this identity when we open this podcast you're like tell me what you do and I'm like well <laughs> how do I explain this yeah <laughs> because it's not traditional and um that's I'm still kind of wrestling with it but I can tell you that I am in such a good I, I, good place I'm just healthier 
physically and mentally than I was before. My relationships with my family and my husband are better than ever. I'm just feeling more creative. I'm feeling more um, energized. I, I just, this was the right decision for so many reasons. And mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm making a million dollars. I can't say <laughs> that I have a really clean title to share with people on a business card. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't say any of that, but I know that for myself personally, I'm just in such a great space and almost like I've almost um, shifted down all things in my life, just down a couple notches to just kind of kind of exhale. Yeah, take that breath. Mm-hmm. And refocus, reevaluate. And I... I'm still involved in food, and that's still a thread that's kind of burbling up even right now in some projects that I'm I'm interested in. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like, and I'm trying to let myself be okay with that, mm-hmm. that I don't know. Yeah. And that's um, – so that's been the biggest leap right now, and finding – I just already feel like I've grown so much from that, from, like, allowing yourself again to be mm-hmm. uncomfortable and figure it out. Yeah, what's what's been the biggest surprise so far in the last few months that you've been independent? Yes. Good surprises, bad surprises, a little bit of both? Yes, both. Uh, my sense of time, first of all, because I, when your time is your own, it is very different, mm-hmm. and it can, it can flutter away if you don't have a sense of focus. Um, boundaries has been really interesting. The power of saying no. Because by saying no, it allows you to say yes to something, something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said I've said a lot of yeses in my life, and I feel like that's been one reason I've had such rich opportunities. Right now, I want to I'm reprioritizing and reshuffling a little bit, and so yeah. I've been saying no a little bit more, and that's been really empowering. Um, and then I think probably similar to you, Ashley, because I want to. <laughs> you've had a similar experience as I have lately, leaving mm-hmm. a full time job. Um, just how opportunities appear. Somehow, I didn't expect it, but somehow just things happened. And I'm still working on these kind of part-time projects that are just keeping me busy and that I find really interesting and that are really feeding me in really fun ways. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really ask for them. They just kind of happened. And I was really surprised by that and delighted. And uh, I I think it might mirror something because you just left... Um, your kind of full-time gig. And that was a big Mm -hmm. leap for you. Yeah. And did you find something similar like that? Yeah. I mean, I think think it goes back to when you said when you're vulnerable and you put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. people rally behind you. Yes. And so I think it's a part of that. And I'm so grateful for our local community. I'm sure it's not just Bismarck. Maybe it's a North Dakota or a Midwest Mm -hmm. thing, but there's something about having kind of that small, small, big town vibe that they just kind of come beside you and connections are everything. And they do genuinely want you to succeed. So people point you in directions that lead you to other connections. And then suddenly you have this work that, I mean, I think even just a couple of years ago, I doubted was even there. Mm -hmm. Like, well, if I did that, what would I do? Where would they come from? You know, all those kind of doubts. And now I'm here and it's like, they keep on coming. Yeah. You know, like I never could have predicted that. Yes. And the opening of yourself up and boy, this past, I think my whole life has been an exploration of my own sense of place and my own sense of this, this place and Mm -hmm. my position within it. Uh, It's not necessarily an easy place to live, let's say. And especially in the past year, I've been reading more and more about other people's, um, identity and how it ties to where they're from and things like that. And um, I think there's some people who really wish we had a stronger systems and maybe more, um, we have a fierce independence here, right? Yes. Historically, we had kind of like this rebel rousing form of agricultural (laughs) socialism. Um, That's kind of withered in favor of kind of this more like independent streak. Um, That can have its pros and cons. And I think in a European place, for example, in Switzerland and Spain and elsewhere, Mm -hmm. you have more of a kind of a safety net of, uh, you know, government services and things like that, which can absolutely be really um, helpful and valuable. I do think Europeans themselves will admit that because they have such strong government systems, Mm -hmm. that their own sense of kind of the charitable giving is a little bit more diminished than maybe it is in an American way. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that one or the other is better, but I do think that here 
because we're kind of independent, there's a little bit more of a urge to support each other in a kind of a sincere yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're doing that thing, I'm going to come to your shop and buy the buy that stuff because yes. I know that if I don't act, it's not going to happen. And I think if there's anything I've learned about being a North Dakota and in a creative space and in a maker space, it's how important it is that you need to show up and you mm-hmm. need to participate yep. and you need to support. And I'm so grateful for communities like MakeWell because they... Um, we, if you want something to happen here, we don't have the volume of people to rely on someone else yeah. to make it cool. You can't say, oh, somebody else will show up. Exactly. You can do anything here because it's really is an open fe- open playing field, mm-hmm. but you're just going to have to do it yourself. Yes, <laughs> you're going to have to build it. Yep. Can't <laughs> rely on someone else. You can't rely on someone else. And, but people recognize when you, when you're actually like building it and they will rally around you and they will help if you make it easy for them to help, right, yeah. <laughs> as, as much as they can. And I think that's a really unique characteristic of living here. And um, it's just uh, getting that momentum and keeping that momentum takes a lot of energy uh, when you just have such a, we're kind of relatively rural, like you said, a mm-hmm. big small town. Yeah. We just, to to keep that going just takes, takes a little bit. So if you think something's cool, you need to show up for it. You need to you need to go mm-hmm. to the shop. You need to do things because there really isn't enough people to rely on someone else to do that and make sure it stays. Yeah, and I I found that the the key to that is to keep showing up. Yeah, because everyone's excited about the opening night mm-hmm. or that first event, but once they continue to succeed and they continue to grow. You still have to show up. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, because then it's easier to think, oh, well, it's doing so well. You know, you can just stay home or whatever. But there's still a lot of work that goes into those events and those businesses and all of those things. And so I think the challenge for our community is to keep showing up. Absolutely. And the way I personally derive a lot of value out of that is how what I choose to spend my dollar on. And I, I mean, I'm not... There's no perfection in any of this, right? No. So we all end up at Target sometimes. Yep. We all end up in those places. But if there's if there's something you really value, whether it's especially in our maker community or our producer community or our grower communities, I just I would just encourage people to vote with their dollar in that way and not only to help them out, but it, it stays in our community then. And so mm-hmm. I think of so many people that are just doing these things as side gigs and side hustles and stuff and just would love to make it a bigger, bigger yeah. thing. And I love it when someone can just have whatever is cool and talented about them just like screaming loud out in front. Right. Because we have so much of that, but so many people kind of have to like push that aside in favor of, well, I just got to pay the bills, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'm thinking of a certain certain cases of that so the it, the more we can do of with that I am the better and I think it's getting better and better I'm from here right I'm, I'm Bismarck yeah, local same yeah yes are you yep there two you Bismarck go. locals so you've seen the community change like mm-hmm. I remember when there was nothing happening downtown like no one came downtown I Peacock Alley was still here Fiesta Villa was but I don't really remember coming here ever as a kid or no yeah I remember like not no, the only ethnic food was probably like Golden Dragon at the, <laughs> the Chinese restaurant. Um, I I just have seen so much change, and I do really do think Bismarck's getting better and better and cooler and cooler, and that the opportunities continue to to grow as long as you're willing to kind of put some energy behind it. Mm-hmm. Totally, that's been my experience at least. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thinking thinking back to your entire journey, all of the different experiences you've had, if you could give that sixth grader one piece of advice, what would you tell her? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much I would tell her. Um, Chill out on the perfectionism. Oh, my gosh. I think I missed a lot of opportunities in a a younger phase because I didn't ask for help. Mm. It took me a long time to figure out how to ask people for help and to be vulnerable. And... uh, Gosh, I can think of so many things, so many examples of that where I just kind of chose to diminish myself and to make myself smaller mm-hmm. instead of asking for help so I can move forward. And I think that uh, hindered me in some ways and just kind of my my youth and my kind of naive Beth 
phase. Yeah. Granted, I mean, that that was part of my journey. And would I be where I'm at now yeah. if I didn't? Who exactly. Knows? But I would just say um, ask for help. And I really even think, um, and I'll, I'll say this for women in particular, like there is a sense that we need to diminish or be smaller or be quieter or be thinner or be, you know, or hunch our shoulders if we're tall or things mm-hmm. like that. And I would just say, I mean, if you can find a way to just feel more confident and lean in and speak up, uh, there's there's so much power in that. And it's it's hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I worked for a very male-dominated industry for a long yeah. time. So, And I was very young at that time, too. So it took a lot for me to be able to advocate for myself and speak up and lean in. I was fortunate to have great mentors all along the way who helped me with that. But um, I would just, I would say that that speaking up and being bigger would be um, for little, little back. <laughs> little back. <laughs> would be a great piece of advice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so. um, all right, Beth, we have the same final question for all of our podcasts. Great. What is one thing you wish you were really good at but aren't? And how do you work around it? I wish I was a pro at all the Adobe graphics mm. stuff. I wish I had your skill set, Ashton, is basically <laughs> the answer to that question. I feel just personally a limitation there in how visual communications are becoming more and more prevalent and needed and how strong uh, how strong a good visual message can come across versus just a written word. Uh, ideally, you have both, but yeah, um, yeah. I do think our communication mediums are becoming more and more visual and I'm recognizing that as a gap in my skill set that could really serve me at the same time <laughs> I know a lot of great people who do yeah. have that skill set and who make excellent partners for that when and if needed so um, that's I'm excited about that kind of potential collaboration Awesome. Well, it's been so much fun having you today and getting to hear the full story because yes. I knew I knew bits and pieces, but getting to kind of walk through it, especially in your viewpoint and your eyes and hearing the lessons learned, I think we'll all have something to take away. So thanks so much for, for sharing and being Thank vulnerable so with us. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Make Well Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. If you'd like to learn more about the MakeWell community or get connected, you can visit wearemakewell.com or at wearemakewell on Instagram. All right, we'll see you next time, friends.